as usual, more information than we can we can put into these 45 minutes. So, so James chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. If you want to open up your Bibles there, we're going to do a little bit of review because last week we had an amazing lectureship. It was wonderful to be together. I mean, this auditorium was so filled up and have everybody together together. Um, praising God and singing and, and wonderful lessons. And so, of course, we didn't have our, our uh, normal Bible class last Sunday. So we've got to do some review and then get back into it. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay, I like that. Thank you, Betty. Okay, so some review here. So, chapter 1. Uh, as I've said before, James crams so much in here. He is a preacher. And he's getting to the point. There's no fluffiness in there. There's no extra stuff. It's, it's here's, here's what you need to know to be a Christian. And he's talking to Christians that are abroad. They have fled because of persecution and other things. And so he's, he's heard that there's problems. And he's written them this letter to say, hey, you've got to do some things different. And he's being very pointed about it. So talks about trials and temptations finding joy in your trials and temptations, which we have a hard time doing when we're in the middle of them, don't we? And, and But once we're through them, we can breathe that sigh of relief, thank God, and, and learn from that circumstance. You learn from your mistakes, right? I hope so. Not always. Sometimes we repeat them. Okay, he talks about wisdom from God. We talked about prayer and communication there, because he says, ask God for wisdom. All right, do we do that? I hope so. Uh, Wisdom, usually that's, again, coming from our mistakes. We learn from them and we move on. Okay, let me stop there. We are an imperfect people, okay? We make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. Grant, you're going to make mistakes. But you learn from those, you pick yourself up, and you go forward. If they're a mistake against God, what do you do? Repent. Say you're sorry. Just as if I I said something or, or did something to court and hurt his feelings. That's hard to do, but if I did that, I need to say, I'm sorry. And, and ask for his forgiveness and go on. Same thing with God. That we are rich in God. Now, you might look in your pockets right now and go, no, I ain't got nothing in there. All right? We are rich because of our position with God in his kingdom. We are his children. And our riches are not necessarily right now here. This is not instant gratification. This is, on judgment day, we are welcomed into our home. Our mansions in the sky, we sing about them. We have a home in heaven prepared for us. Temptation is not from God. Now, a lot of this you've heard from even Tony's lessons. Temptation is not from God. And so many times we even blame the devil. We blame Satan. But really we need to realize a lot of that is inside ourselves. It's our nature. That that's what we have to control and, and to be aware of. Controlling anger. You know, Fortunately, the roads this morning into town were nice and clear and and traffic was light and there was no road rage. But how many times in our daily life can just, not even road rage, but just rage 
enter our lives, whether at work, maybe at home, or just dealing with other people. Sometimes it's even dealing with our brothers and sisters. Okay? Listening and obeying. Now, we're going to see later on, too, submitting. If you submit to God, you are going to be listening and obeying. All those things keep coming back. We see this over and over in James. Then we get to chapter 2. Favoritism is forbidden. Okay? Would you like God to have favorites? Would you like him to say, okay, this side of the room I really like, and I'm going to bless you, and in this side of the room, eh, you're on your own. Okay? God does not do that to us. Why do we do that to each other? And that even goes outside the church to the community. If you are showing favoritism to the guy that's standing on the corner with the sign, if you're, if you're, if you're not paying attention to him, but you pay more attention to the person in the car beside you or to the person at the grocery store, you have to be aware of every relationship you have day to day that are you showing favoritism to some people but not others? We really just need to get that whole word out of there. No favoritism whatsoever. Treat everybody the same. Love all people. Okay, this is, this is what? This is one of the greatest commandments. We are to love all people. If we love all people, we're not going to show favoritism. Love everybody the same. I don't love Jaylee more than I love Mike. I love you both equally. I love everybody equally, and you're my family. Faith and works, service, are connected. You cannot have them separate. They are connected together. Okay? Faith without works is dead. You have to have both. Taming the tongue in chapter 3. Remember? Help, my tongue is on fire. Okay? How many times has that happened to us? Over and over and over and over. You know, besides the things that we're pouring out that, that are inflammatory to other people, it could even be as, as simple as just gossip. And gossip can consume us so quickly because it's so easy to do because we think we might might have, can you know, if I tell this person, then maybe they can help and they'll spread around and get to the person, they'll know better. It doesn't work that way. It's gossip. True wisdom is from God. Okay, true wisdom. Be prepared. If you're asking for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. You might not like the way it arrives. Those mistakes you make, remember, that you learn from, you gain wisdom from, and you hopefully do not repeat them again. Chapter 4, so far, okay, up to where we, we left off two weeks ago, submitting to God, submitting to God in everything we do. God's word is the final answer. And so in everything we do at work, at home, at play, recreation, vacation, everything should point back to God's word and submitting to him. Remember, listening and obeying, that's a part of it. Okay, from there, we're going to backtrack a little bit on verses so we can read them and get back into our mindset and our context here. We want to keep our context. So, Chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1. Just read with me, along with me on the board, or in your Bibles. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? 
Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say to no purpose, He jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So again, James is getting to the point of quite a bit there. And he's using some very strong words there. So he's calling them out for their transgressions. Remember, they were having having so many problems abroad. The, they were fighting within themselves. You know, they were showing favoritism to some and not the others. There was a, a conflict there between the rich and the poor, or even just the rich and the, the ordinary person. Okay, the rich were exalting themselves, and they were pushing down those below them in monetary uh, status. So he's, in everything he's saying, he is not softening his words at all. When he says quarrel and lust and murder and adulteresses, he's saying these things to get their attention. Now, as we explained before, these were all all words to say, hey, wake up. You know, when he tells them that they're murdering, they're not actually murdering. But they might as well be because of the hate they're showing in their hearts. Um, We showed that uh, two weeks ago in our lesson. Um, Now, starting with verse 7, he now commands them to a new action. And he says, submit. Submit, therefore, to God. Okay? And all the things that you're doing here, uh-uh. you got to change that. you got to submit to God. And then the opposite of that, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. It's kind of a, a... If the devil cannot get to you, he's not going to put the energy into you. If you can control your nature and the the nature of sinful man, if you can control that, then the devil is going to just walk away. He's going to say, okay, I got better things to do. Now I'm putting this in human terms, so forgive me. But even knowing the devil is not human, he's going to say, well, I'll come back to you later. Right now I can't get to you, so I'm going to go elsewhere. Think of it in those terms. That's why we daily have to fortify ourselves. You remember, you've learned this several times, putting on the armor of God. You know, protecting yourself. When you do that, the devil will beat you down for a while and go, okay, it's not working. I'm going to go do something else. 
And then I'm, I'll, I'll be back later, though. Come close to God. How many times do we come close to God? Do you come close to God daily? Do you try to? Or is it just okay? Uh, Sunday. Sunday, I'm here. I'm here Sunday. I can be closer to God because I'm in this building and I'm here with everybody. So this is closer to God, right? Ah, it says it's an everyday thing. Come closer to God and he will come close to you. God wants to be with you. He wants to be with us. He wants us back. He's jealous for that spirit that he put into us. And he wants it back because it belongs to him. And if we take that step closer to him, he's going to come closer to us. Now think of it even as a parent. If a child does something wrong, sometimes that parent's got to stay back and go, okay, I need you to learn from this. And I need you to change your attitude. And once that happens, what's the parent want to do? Wants to get right in there again. Wants to hug him and say, good job. I am pleased with you. And that's what God wants. He wants to tell us the same thing. So he tells them some actions to do. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Okay? Wash them up. Get rid of that. Purify your hearts. Get rid of all that dross, that dirt, that mud. Because that's what it is when we're in sin, when we have a sin. Do you remember we talked about, you know, there are no degrees of sin. When he points out that we, we murder people to get what we want, what he's saying is that's, that's inside. That's the spirit that you're having at that time, your nature. That you're hating somebody. That you're showing favoritism to other people and, and not them, and you're throwing your hate on them. All right? Get rid of all that because all those things are stains to us. That little white lie, we talked about that. That's just as wrong as the big lie. It's just as wrong as murder. It's just as wrong as adultery. It's just as wrong as every other sin there is against God. They're all the same before God. And we've got to clean ourselves of that. And he calls them double-minded. Why? Because they've, they're trying to hold on to the world and God. We, we call that, we've talked about that before, being wishy-washy, being fence-sitters. You fit on, sit on the fence and you want the best of both. You know, well, the pasture's greener over here, even though I have it good over here, so I'm going to straddle the fence and I'm going I'm to occupy both of them. We can't do that. You, you know as well as I do that when you're in the world, it influences you. At work, maybe at home, grocery shopping. Our peers around us are influencing us all the time. By the way they dress, by the way they talk, by the way they act. We see all these things and they have an effect on us. You know very well the effect it has on children. Peer pressure alone can be such a huge factor. And, and our role as parents is so much of just directing them and not letting that peer pressure affect them so much and changing their path when it does. But even as adults, we have peer pressure. We see it constantly. Advertising is built on that. Advertising on TV, radio, internet is built on peer pressure. You need the best clothing. 
I've got a perfume or a cologne here for you that's going to make you smell so good. You know, these clothes over here are better than those clothes over there. You know, they give us choices of the world all the time. And, and so much of it is just, it's, it's money. It's about power, fame, all these things mixed together. Advertising is directed at so much of that. So, he, strong word again, you double-minded. All right, he's pointing, picking at them again. And then he says, okay, because of all this, you've got to change. You've got to be sorry. You have to repent. And he tells them, okay, this is what you need to do. Because of what you've done, you need to be miserable and mourn and weep. Okay? All those physical and emotional attributes. Now, we say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, I, I don't, I'm not really going to. I want you to remember, I'm sure all of us have some moment in our life when maybe we have done something to hurt somebody or somebody has hurt us. A very emotional time. Let's call it an event in our time. And maybe you were so sorry that you were sad. You wept knowing what you had done. You know, every now and then we get an example. One of our brothers or sisters, and it's usually our sisters, giving us the better example, coming forward and say, I've done something wrong. And they're in tears. Because they're sorry for it. And that's an example exactly of what he's talking about here. Miserable and mourn and weep. Be sorry for what you've done against God. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Repent. Know that what you did was wrong. Just plain out wrong. There's no justifying it. There's no glossing it over. There's no putting a fresh coat of paint on it, you know, and just covering it up. It's going to be laid bare before God because he sees everything. Everything about us he sees and knows. And your joy into gloom. Now, we look at this and we go, well, he's all gloom and doom. No, he's saying you've got to make a change. So you've gone out in the world and you've partied, and now it's time to be before God and say, you're sorry. You've got to make that 180-degree switch. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself. How many times do we not humble ourselves? I, I know I can go about my my daily life, take things for granted, and and maybe have some successes and just even daily things and start feeling good about myself and what I'm doing. Oh, and I did that, and, and, and I made that decision, and I made that happen. And then I forget that really God is right there with me, and he's helping me through all that. So many times we'll blame others or even blame God for our failures, but our successes we like to take them on as ourselves. I did that. No. Humble yourself 
And it's an everyday thing. It's an attitude, an attitude within us. Humble yourself. It doesn't mean that we need to get on our knees and, and scrape and bow and, you know. No, it means to realize that we are lower than God, that we are not God, that he is the supreme king. He is our creator, our maker, our God, and we are to look to him always. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, that doesn't mean that as, as if I've got a humble spirit through the day that, you know, by nighttime he's going to be lifting me up and, and, and I'm going to get all the blessings and, and everything's going to go great. No. He will exalt you on that final day when we have just, when the world has, has crushed us, but we've stayed on the path and we get before God and he goes, let me lift you up. I know you because my son knows you. Please come into your home, your home that I have made for you. And I'm going to put you in your right spot. That's what we're looking for. Nothing in life is going to be rosy all the time. And we just need to accept that. And that's hard sometimes. You know, because we want everything to be fine. We don't want conflict. We want peace. But in this life, there's a war going on, and things happen, and we just need to get to the end, the end of that road before heaven. Okay, verse 11. Let's start there. Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you judging your neighbor? Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. All right, going back to verse 11. Okay? We've seen this in different forms already. Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. Controlling the tongue. Gossip insulting each other, thinking badly of each other, showing favoritism to each other, all of those things tying back in again. So if he says the same thing over and over in different ways, how important is it? You think maybe it's got some credibility there? Maybe it's something that we do quite often then, if he's reminding us of it over and over? Because we need to realize that those people he's talking to those brothers and sisters of ours do the very same things that we often do. Okay? 
Just because we're separated by thousands of years doesn't mean they were any different than us. They could sit here and, and worship God and nod and smile to each other and then go out and be cruel businessmen or insult one another or push down their brother or sister. All these things that he's talking about, they did. And I dare say sometimes we do it too. I'm losing my track here and I'm losing my pages. <laughs> okay. So, he talks about the law. Yeah. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister. Okay, judging. Is that is that right? We've talked about that before. We've heard lessons on it. Do not judge. Speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So, when we judge others, when we show favoritism, which is what judging is, favoritism, okay? When we make those judgment calls, we have just put ourselves in God's shoes. Right or wrong, you know, whether, whether even if I get the right judgment, I'm taking that responsibility on myself. Do you want that responsibility? Remember, however you judge others, you are going to be judged before God. Do you want him to judge you the same way? I don't. Because I now I know how harsh I can be. I know my bad decisions when I have taken that on myself. And I... In my own prayers with God, got to say, ah, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Because what I did was wrong. You know, we all have faults. We all have flaws. And if I'm going to judge you by those, then how is God going to judge my flaws and faults? There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. So when we take that responsibility on ourselves, we are taking, saying, I have the power to save or to destroy. Now think of what you use your tongue for. You can lift people up or you can crush them down. And we see that over and over. Even, as I said, peer pressure before. I'm sure we all have a favorite uh, it used to be TV show. Now it's usually streaming. But we have a favorite uh, entertainment that we like to watch. Maybe it's something funny or a drama or whatever it may be. How many times as part of the story there is somebody, you know, encouraging somebody, but then later on they're just crushing somebody else. And, and we think of that as entertainment. And when we start thinking of it as entertainment, does that invade how we think on an everyday basis? I say yes, it does. We may think of it as entertainment and then we can just put it aside and go on. But guard yourselves and guard yourselves every day because those influences are there. But who are you judging your neighbor? So, 
we're going to look back. I don't have it on the screen, but uh, chapter 2, verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Because it's impossible to show favoritism and love your neighbor at the same time. Now, James is referring back to Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18, and he calls it the royal law. And, and it's, we know it as the greatest commandment, okay? Besides love, the, love God first, okay? Love God first, and then love your neighbor. So, he, and he calls the royal law, You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So many times we hear, you know, love your neighbor yourself, and we think of that just as a New Testament uh, verse from Jesus. No, it goes all the way back, and it never stopped, and it never changed. And then chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But if you show partiality, favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. He says it again. If you show favoritism, if you show judgment towards other, you are in sin. Not a little, not a lot, sin. That's all it is, sin. Now, Paul uh, states it in a different way, but he gets to the point. Paul in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Let me make sure I don't have that. Okay. Paul in Romans 14, 1 through 4, he states... Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not to have quarrels over opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. So obviously they're having a problem there. They're kind of opposed to each other just because of of the way they eat, whether they eat or not, or what they eat. Do you want to be judged on what you eat? That seems really silly sitting here and saying that, doesn't it? But there was a real problem then, and Paul was addressing that. You who are to judge the servant, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Okay, who's our master? God. We are his servants, his children. If we judge one another, we are so much in the wrong before our master. I should not judge you I need to leave that to the master. Okay? He, it stated over and over. Remember what I said? If, it's, if something is stated over and over, just how important can it be for us? All right, so now we're going on to the next verse. And at this point, he's changing his topic. Okay, he's done this so many times throughout all the chapters. He gets, he gets his point across and he says, okay, now we're going somewhere else. So let's start in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. 
Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, for you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, I heard Mike Shiro say so often, Lord willing, or if the creeks don't rise, or if something doesn't happen to me, I'll make plans, but we got to know that my life might end in a moment, that hopefully I will be called home. But no matter what, things change. We leave here this morning, get in the car, and we're assuming we're going to make it home safely, right? Well, what happens if we don't? What happens if you, if somebody's not paying attention, you're in a car accident, you know? Or many of us are getting older. Not Jaylee, he's still too young. But we could have, you know, a heart attack, a stroke. Things could happen to us. We have brothers and sisters here that we have prayed earnestly for because as we get older our bodies tend to go towards failure we know what's going to happen in the end you know and as christians we should be looking forward to that because that means we're getting closer to home but right now we're living the life we have here things could happen so lord willing if he allows me another day if he keeps me safe if I stay on the path, then yeah, I can make some plans for tomorrow. It's okay. You know, I would love to make plans with you. Go out for lunch or have a dinner or maybe I'm going to start working in my yard since it's spring. I got a lot of twigs and everything and leaves to, to pick up. You know, and moose poop. That's always there too. You know, I can do that tomorrow. But I might not make it tomorrow and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because God's there. And so this goes back to, to there's an element of submitting in there. There's a huge element of being humble. That my plans are not the same as God's plans. My time is not the same as God's time. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. We can make plans. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? I love being organized. I love making a list of things, you know, while I can remember them, and then checking them off later. You know, I'm going to do this. I might even put it out for a week, knowing that they might not get done because I could be gone at any time because my life is a vapor. I'm just here for a short time. I said, God's time is not our time. When you think about eternity, you know, we talk about beginning and end, alpha and omega, but really to us, eternity just has no beginning and end when we think about it in our mind. I mean, where do you start with eternity? And God was there in all of it. And we talk about, you know, we ask each other, how old are you? You know, I just, I just recently turned 60. And I think back, you know, I don't feel 60. I feel like 30. <laughs> but I, I, I see how short my life actually is. You know, my body's changed. Uh, it's a little bit weaker. I can't do the same things I used to, even though I want to and I try. 
you know, and I hurt myself, and my wife's there to say, stop that. But I am just a vapor. I'm just a moment in time to God's eternity. You know, thinking back to those brothers and sisters that I knew so long ago, 40, 50 years ago, and I sometimes wonder, you know, what happened to them? And, and are they still around? Many of them I know are not because they were older at that time. And that would put them like 110 or older. Wonderful people who their vapor is gone now. And I hope they are with the Lord. But us too, a short amount of time. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Okay, now he's, he's, he's taking that stick again and he's jabbing them. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Okay, now he said evil. Is evil the same as sin? Yes, 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 yes. Right or wrong, if it's evil, it's sin. Okay, so he's just calling them out again that their arrogance is sin. Their boasting is sin. So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. I'll go back to that. Do you know what's right and wrong? You know, so many times we even talk about the age of accountability. That's a, a phrase from church people. Age of accountability. At what point... Is a person responsible for their actions, knowing right and wrong? You know, our children can make a lot of mistakes, and they can make a lot of wrong mistakes, awful mistakes. You know, even teenagers. Now, we don't have a firm age of accountability there. It's, it's different for everybody. But you as an adult who have been in God's word and you're and I hopefully studying God's word and knowing right from wrong but sometimes we choose the wrong we choose what is wrong that's a terrible thought to choose what is wrong when a situation is before you and you know what the right thing to do is and you choose not to do it And James right there is saying, it is sin. It is sin. So we've just added some more to that list of what is sin. All right? And what do you do? Well, repent, repent, repent. Go back to the verses, say, mourn, weep, be sorrowful. Turn your laughter to to sorrow your joy to gloom all the make that 180 degree switch and maybe maybe sometimes we have to do that every day and if that's what it takes do it do it because life is so short if you do not make that that change and say i'm sorry that stain is still on you. Now, 
I'm not saying that we need to go around every day beating ourselves up, okay, and, and, and smacking ourselves and going, oh, I am such a terrible person. That's not what I'm saying. Because we know that it's not up to us to save ourselves. It's, it's God through Jesus who saves us. But if we are contrite, if we are sorry for what we've done, knowing that we are imperfect, because I guarantee you, when, when my life ends, and hopefully it's me sliding into the last, going, done, safe, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some dirt on me. I'm sure there is. But that's why we have God's grace. That's why we have grace through Jesus. That's why there is grace, because we are an imperfect people. If you died at this moment, at this moment, that's a terrible question, isn't it, to think that? If you died at this moment, would you go to heaven? You know, but if we are living every day doing our best in an imperfect body, imperfect people, then that grace is there to get you that last few inches you know, when you slide into home base there and you stop short, you're not safe yet. And in my mind, that's, that's, that grace is reaching over there and grabbing you and pulling you those last few inches saying, you're home. Now, I know that's simplistic, but I really like word pictures. That, that last little bit, Jesus is going to know who I am. And he's going to say, come on, come on, you can do it. I got you. And that's what I'm counting on. All right, that's the end of our lesson. We got a few more minutes, which is unusual. And so let's go ahead and get ready for worship. Thank you so much for being here this morning.